So we are still in this series about being healthy from the inside out. 3 John 2, I beloved, pray that in all respects you may prosper. We've been defining what it means for our soul to prosper. And then looking at three areas that some psychologists developed known as the self-determination theory of three areas that intrinsically motivate human beings. But backing, backing away from that for a moment and saying, but would, that, would not these three areas, if they were all working well, would they not all manifest health at the same time? The first is the need to feel authentic. The second, the need to feel competent at what they do. And the third, the need to feel connected to others. So for the past few weeks, we've been on the topic of authenticity. But I want to move on tonight, and I want to talk about competence. Competence. Norman Nakanishi, who's a pastor of a great church in Hawaii, one of our Every Nation churches, really the largest Every Nation church that we have in North America, he tweeted this a few weeks ago. And he said, If you don't know what to do, you may not know who you are. Because identity guides ability, the what follows the who. And I, there's, there's, so much, there's so much truth in that statement that we don't just get out there and do a bunch of stuff and hope that somehow we'll, 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 we'll somehow walk into our calling and destiny and everything will come into alignment. But it begins by a real sense of authenticity, of knowing who we are. But having established the who then, it takes us to the what or that which we do, competence. So let me ask you this question by way of introduction tonight. What are you truly lousy at? Oh, come on. Smile when you say that. What are you truly lousy at? I mean, you know, we all, talk, we all have, you know, some things that we feel good about. Some things that we cook. Some things that we do. Some skills that we have that we feel, yes. But what are you lousy at tonight? And the real question is, if you can define what you're lousy at, can you still be okay with yourself? Because most people can't. That's the reality. I mean, you know, I mean, again, you've heard me talk about this before, but hand me anything spherical. If it's not, if, if it's not something to eat, if it's a ball and you expect me to throw it, pass it, hit it, kick it, or do anything with it, it's over. It's done. It's going, it's going to be embarrassing. I'm just telling you like it is. Because there are no large motor skills on this map. Never had them. Never will. I mean, I just opted out quick. Thank goodness mom and dad figured it out. And they just opted out quick, and they said, we better move on and find something else because he's going to get killed out there. <laughs> he's going to break something. If nothing else, going to break his little self-esteem. We got to get him off that athletic field, and we need to get him in something in the band or something else. And so we have some things that we're just not good at. My wife and I love spending time in the kitchen. I do love to eat, but I also love to cook. And so we spend time in the kitchen, and there are just some things that I keep trying, but I'm terrible at it. There's some things I just cannot make 
to save my life. You ever watched your, ever gone back and talked to your grandmother and just asked, how do you, how do you make that? Oh, you just take a little of this and a little of that and you just kind of, and you just, uh uh-uh, give me measurements. Oh, baby, you can't measure that. You don't need to measure that. You just dump a little of whatever. Anybody can do this. Well, this, this, I can't. This anybody cannot still make a decent biscuit. And if you're from the South and you can't make a biscuit, they come get your South Southern card. They come collect it. Let me just tell you. I mean, we're talking the home of Bojangles and Hardee's and food that will kill you quick. But if you can't make a biscuit and you're from the South, it's just like, that's, that's where, you know, your grandmother looks at you and said, bless his heart. That's all she's got left at that point. It's just bless his heart. But how does it make you feel to know that you're not good at everything? Because we like to do things well. Partly as we, we like to do things well because we like the commendation that comes from doing things well. We like the attaboys, don't we? Ooh, that is so good. How did you make that? You are so talented. You are so what? We love that. Come on, bring, bring that. Bring that. Feed, feed that inner narcissist. Come on. Feed that thing. And we'd, so we, we, we like to be identified with those things. And yet, ladies and gentlemen, let me help you this evening. You can't be great at everything. I don't care what your mama told you. Because, trust me, mamas will lie to you. Because they love you. And they will lie to you. You with me? Oh, baby, I know you're not full. Go ahead and have another piece of pie. It'll be all right. No, it won't. And so you kind of, we, we, got, we kind of grow up where everything's, and then you get in college. It's like, what do you mean I flunked this class? What, 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 do you, what do you mean I'm no good at this? And then all of a sudden your little world collapses because you realize you're not great at everything. Amazing. We live in a day of do not try this at home. I am a professional. (laughs) Now, men understand that a little bit differently because men are inherently cheap. Come on, guys. Just can we just. Thank you. And so your wife is already. Honey, let me call somebody. Honey, let me call somebody. No, no, I got it. That's famous last words right before you get off to the ER. No, really, I got it. Let me, I can fix this. You know what I'm talking about. My family has watched the blue flames fly in my house so many times as I'm doing electrical projects. Real men don't cut the breakers off. And you may think I'm exaggerating. Because I figure if I make a mistake, the breaker's going to trip anyway. I just saved the trip of going all the way to the utility room. Do not try this at home. I'm a professional. It's why all men have duct tape. 
Because if you can't fix it with duct tape, then you do need to call somebody. And I've discovered something else in my old age that I'm sorry that it's taken me this long to discover. Most men in this room already know. It's called Bondo. Bondo. Let me tell you. It's the stuff. It's, it's sort of like icing for a car. And they use it to fill things in. And you, can set, you can fix anything with Bondo. I'm convinced that my dentist uses Bondo. Or some derivation thereof. All right? Just, just doesn't buy it in the gallon cans. But it's... But I may not get it fixed exactly the way a professional, but it gets fixed somehow. But by definition, this word competent, it simply means the ability to do something successfully or efficiently. That's all it means. A more elaborate definition, it's a, it's a buzz term in industry. Some scholars see competence as a combination of practical and theoretical knowledge, cognitive skills, behavior, and values used to improve performance as a combination of emotional intelligence, et cetera, and so forth. And then they've discovered different, different levels of competency. This is kind of interesting, actually. You have the novice, which many of us stay there in a lot of areas, but not the novice they define as having just rule-based behavior, but strongly limited and inflexible. Think about your children. All they know is what? Hear the rules. And they're amazingly inflexible. Second is the experienced beginner who incorporates aspects of the situation, begins to realize, oh, I'm not the only person in the world. Three, the practitioner acting consciously from long-term goals and plans. Then you have the knowledgeable practitioner who sees the situation as a whole, acts from personal conviction, and lastly, the expert who has an intuitive understanding of a situation and zooms in on the central aspects. You know, it's amazing to me, if I look at these five things, I begin to think, what? I wonder if there's such a thing as a discipleship competency. Stay with me, Pastor Danell. See if this works. You've got, first of all, the novice who's rule-based. I mean, we step into faith, and the first thing that a novice wants to know is, can I still smoke weed? <laughs> if, if, if I don't smoke weed on Sunday, is it all right? And so, you, but you think about it, many novices, they're looking for, give me the rules. Are you with me? Give me the black and the white. Give me the, what, how far can I push this thing and still get to heaven? And then there's an amazing inflexibility. But then we have the experienced beginner where, okay, now I'm beginning to have a little bit of understanding. Okay, so it's not just about the rules. It, it, it's about how the rules affect my relationship with God and with other people. It's an amazing thing as you watch children get older and they realize they're not the only person in the household. Kind of interesting. You have the practitioner acting consciously now from a sense of vision and destiny. There's something else that's driving their life other than just the rules. Just how is this going to affect someone else? The knowledgeable practitioner. Now we're operating from a place of personal conviction. And lastly, the expert who's intuitive. This is the ability 
to focus on the main thing. That the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing, as a pastor said many years ago. Now, let me hasten to say there's no such thing as an expert disciple. It doesn't, that, that person doesn't exist. All right? If there, there may have been one, and his name was Jesus, because of the way that he related to the Father. He got the whole package. But you and I never achieve expert status in our discipleship. All right? We will stay in some, one of these other four places. But the process of competency in our life, it's a lifelong series of doing and then checking over our shoulder and saying, how did that work? We've heard, how'd that work? How'd that work for you? Competence helps to serve, give us confidence. But listen to me, it can only be a component of that confidence. It can't be the sole source of that confidence. Of that confidence. Let me say it again because I said it very poorly. Competence can be a component of your confidence, but it can't be the only component thereof. Why is that? Is that when that competence may not be there any longer, all of a sudden then you lose a sense of self and you lose a sense of self-worth. You lose a sense of who you are because you were identified with being competent in a given area. I mean, what happens when we get a little bit older and all of a sudden we can't move like we could when we were 17? We don't have any hang time anymore. The only hang time you got has been hanging over your belt for the last 10 years. <laughs> or maybe, maybe, maybe you're a musician and all of a sudden you're trying to relive what your, what your voice or your hands would let you do when you were 20 years old. And now you're 70 years old and all of a sudden the facility is not the same as what it was. It happens. It happens. Confidence has to be primarily garnered through our acceptance apart from just our competence in any given area. See, the world talks about competence. It marries gifting plus discipline. So if a person is gifted in an area, if they have talent, so to speak, and they marry talent and discipline together, they get something called competency. It's the whole Gladwell 10,000 hours. You do something long enough and you will develop some degree of competence having done it repetitively. Okay? But in the, in the church, it's a little bit different. It's gifting plus discipline, but then plus anointing. And we recognize that all three have their beginning and their end in God. 2 Corinthians 3, Paul is writing about confidence, he says, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. Listen to me. Your competence comes from God. Now, I'm going to be drawing some correlations tonight between specific spiritual gifting and natural gifting, but can we all agree for the sake of at least one message that all gifting comes from God? Whether it's a musical gift, an athletic gift, the gift to make money, it may not be listed as one of the nine spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, but we all recognize that there's some people that God has gifted in certain areas differently than maybe he's gifted you and me. Nod your head. 
I mean, you see certain people, and I mean, they can, they can find a pile of garbage, and they can make $100,000 with it. Don't know how, it's amazing. Some people just, just any, and you, where'd that come from? All right, is this guy just lucky? No, he's just gifted to make money. What do you do with that? We understand that the gift is from God. We understand the discipline to develop the gift is what we know is the fruit of the spirit of self-control. Oh, he's just really disciplined. Maybe. But, and there are some people that are inherently, innately disciplined people. But for most of us, we're not. And so we have to rely on the inworking and outworking of the Holy Ghost in what's known as self-control in order to do those things that will equate to discipline to activate that gift. And lastly, the anointing that sets it apart, this is from God, this is different. So we've already defined what being competent is. But if we understand both gifting and measure, both the specific gift and then the amount or measure of that gift is determined by God. And this can really get us messed up. Is that we're not as gifted or we're not as competent in a given area as someone else. And while Scripture talks about spiritual gifts and competencies within those gifts, I want to look at a couple of passages tonight that unpack this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, sort of the proof text that we use to talk about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. Different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. What does that mean? It means everybody's got something. Say, I don't have any talent. No, that's not what the Bible says. It says God has gifted you somewhere, somehow. Maybe you haven't discovered it yet, but it's there. We go on, verse 7. To one is given the manifestation of the Spirit, is given for the common good through the Spirit, the message of wisdom. And he goes out and he unpacks nine spiritual gifts. Verse 11. And all these are the work of the one and the same Spirit. And he gives them to each one just as what? He determines. Oh, my. You mean God's already hardwired this? You bet. Absolutely. I mean, you see somebody in there six foot eight. Chances are very high there's going to be a ball involved. Hello? You see somebody that's five foot two, there may not be a ball involved. And we look at that and we can say, well, that's just unfair. I want it. But God's hardwired certain things. And I'm not just talking about the physical attributes that God might build in, but God gives us certain abilities. And they're spiritual gifts, yes, but they're also these natural gifts. Romans 12 goes on and talks about this. Romans 12, verse 3, For the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. So that means if you're wildly competent, be careful. But think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members and these members don't all have the same function, so in Christ 
We who are many form one body. Different gifts according to the grace given us. And if it's prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. It goes on, lists these gifts, how you should use them. Finally, it says, if it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Somehow I think that cheerfully needs to apply to all of the outworking of our gifting. All of our competencies. I had an executive assistant years ago in another church. And she really wanted to be a teacher. That was her thing. She wanted to teach that Bible. Man, I want to teach that Bible. But she led missions trips, primarily into Eastern Europe. And she was wildly gifted as an administrator. I mean, she could put it together. She could get into places. She could arrange transportation. I mean, it was, it was not just somebody that was pretty good at being on the phone. It was somebody that you realize they're absolutely gifted at doing this. And she was sitting in my office one day, and she was, she was in a moment of reflection, which basically means she was whining <laughs> because she didn't like her gift mix. Oh, she wanted to teach. God's called me to be a teacher. I get stuck. I get stuck doing all this stuff. Really? Wow. Wow. So let me hear you right. You despise the gifting of God. You've despised the unique gift mix. You despise the competencies that he's given you because you'd like to exchange it for something else. I'm just putting different words to what you're saying. Sometimes I find in what I do, and I do one or two things reasonably well other than electricity, And I find many times a lot of my energy is going over here, and I begin to to whine about how more of my energies, I'd like to see them flow over here, and God has to kind of help me a little bit sometimes. He said, oh, so now you don't like your competencies. You don't like your particular gift mix. Have you ever wished you weren't good at something? I mean, let's get real. He's really good at that. You need to call Pastor Sean. He can fix that. <laughs> Pastor Sean's like, no, I can't. Please don't call me. And I'm not just talking about spiritual things now, but you have people that, oh, he's got a truck. Call him. <laughs> and if you've ever owned a pickup truck, you know exactly what I'm talking about because <laughs> you spend a lot of weekends hauling stuff for people. And maybe it's not a truck, maybe it's just some other gift that you've got. I bet he could fix that, give him a call. And, you know, we look at these passages and we think, and we talk about different gifts as how they make up the body, and we, 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 we reduce it to these nine spiritual gifts. But what if we were to look at natural giftings as to how God would put a body together? Somebody has knowledge about diet and nutrition, like Pastor Sean and myself. <laughs> you and I are going to do an eating seminar, by the way. You weren't in the room when I said it, but we're good. But maybe somebody else in your small group, maybe they're really good with carpentry. Maybe somebody else does have a pickup truck. And the next thing you know, the body's being the body because all of these competencies, all of these skills and gifts are being put together. And you realize, wow, we got a complete house here. But it doesn't work until... The house comes together and is the house. Hmm, you ain't got it yet. It's okay. Stay with me. 
You see, biblical competence is understanding what's been given, receiving it, and then receiving the measure of that gift. So you've got to receive the measure of it as well and receive it cheerfully. And what that might mean is that God may have given you a novice measure. Everybody went, "Uh uh-uh. Nope. I'm a charismatic shundai. Nope. Don't receive it. You put a curse on me. Just telling you, there are some things you might be called to be a novice at. I've tried doing my own dental work at home. I actually told my hygienist what I had in my medicine cabinet. The blood drained out of her face. It's okay because I don't like her and she doesn't like me, but that's, we have this little relationship that, but competency, what it is, but what, 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 let's talk about what it's not. Competence is not comparison or competition. The disciples, Luke 9, I mean, can you imagine, here we are, we're walking with God. There might be one or two things that you might want to talk to this man about, this man God about. And here's their discourse. An argument started among the disciples as to what? Which of them would be the greatest? (laughs) I mean, folks are folks. I mean, these are the 12. These are the ones walking with Jesus. And here they are sniping at one another about, I think I got a little more something, something than you got. And I mean, he lets me walk closer to him. You know, and when he talks, he looks at me. So I think maybe I'm going to, I mean, on what basis were they even having this discussion? But they were having it. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, he took a child and he had him stand beside him and said, whoever welcomes this kid in my name welcomes me. For he who's least among you all, he's the greatest. You know, it's an amazing thing about children. We see that and we, you know, we hear it through the context of a 21st century lens or ears or, or the lens of the 21st century understanding about the children. But we say, oh, it's all about the children. But in Jesus' moment, it was nothing about the children. Children had no status, zero. Women, slaves, children, zero status whatsoever. It's one of the things that made Jesus' message so attractive, so appropriate. It's all of a sudden he raised, come on, He took people that had no status and raised them up. He took these guys and drug them down and these guys and pulled them up. Jesus leveled the playing field. That's why he took that child and says, and the other thing about that child, children have no competencies. It's not a matter of I picked this child because he's, he's a prodigy. He hadn't done anything. No status. He hadn't done anything by which to be compared. And yet, Jesus just, there it is. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. We don't dare classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. 
When they measure themselves by themselves, compare themselves with themselves, they're not being smart. However, will not boast beyond proper limits. You see, comparison so often produces discontent. And most often it's what someone has that we don't have. Ever seen somebody really talented, really good at something, and it's just, and you begin to compare, well, no, I don't sing on stupid choir because I can't sing like Tiffany. I'm going to be a riser sitting in the back away from the mic. I can't sing like Tiffany. I'm not going to do anything. And there are many people that take their marbles and go home before they ever get started because they begin to compare themselves to what somebody else has. Or some bizarre catalyst for worship is what we have that somebody else doesn't. I can't go there. That's a weird catalyst for worship, isn't it? Oh, God, look what you've done for me and what you haven't done for them. You must love me more. Shundai. <laughs> Let me tell you, that's just flat weird right there. If that's the only basis that you can jumpstart your worship, you need help. But let me also say this. It's not a competition. You realize everything today is a competition? It is an amazing thing to me. And we go there so often. Julia taught a generation how to cook French. Correct? You know what we have now? We've got Gordon cussing people out because they don't know how to cook French right and they can't cook it fast enough. Think about it. And so everything is Iron Chef and this, that, and the other, and, you know, Survivor, and, you know, you're going to get the, I mean, everything has become a competition in our culture. That it's not a matter of, hey, you got off the island and you're still alive. Good for you. It's, no, no, no. I won this sucker. <laughs> and it used to be you could tune into PBS and watch Julia, you know. But it's just, it was, you know, save the lobo. I mean. <laughs> but we, have, we don't have instruction anymore. Everything is what? It's a competition. It's an amazing thing. You know there's no comparison or competition in heaven? Zero. There's no competition. (laughs) I mean, heaven is basically one big throne and one big God. And it's not a matter of people jockeying up. I belong. Get moved. All right. I, I, I did, on, on, it doesn't matter. It's not what heaven's about. And if your passion can only be found at being the very best at a thing, you're destined for a very disappointing life. Well, if I can't be all that, then I'm not going to be at all. Okay, stay home. I've told the story before. Guitar master class I went to in the early 80s. My wife went with me the second year and you know, I was one of the, I guess, decent players in the class. But there was one player in the class. And I don't remember, I can barely remember my name some mornings. But Christine Citrini's name is drilled into my brain because we hated Christine. Do you know why? It was Christine and the rest of the pack chasing her. 
the gap between Christine. That, that was no chasing. Excuse me. My wife just corrected me. And we were at the class, and I was trying to get a little comfort from my wife. And all she could say was, woman can play. <laughs> there was no comfort. Because it was just stone fact that the way God had gifted this woman was completely different than all the rest of us idiots that were sitting there in that master class. It was her and the rest of us. What were we going to do about it? Or we could have gone home and practiced for a few thousand hours, but it was just easier to get sad and complain about it. <laughs> but again, we hear this, and, and we, we, it, it, it doesn't work for us. Everything today is about being the best, having the best. Okay, doesn't work anymore. And that message is in the church. God don't make no junk. <laughs> Only the best for God's kids. Come on, you've heard it. It's there. Et cetera, et cetera. But often it produces entitlement masquerading as faith. Let me say that again. It often produces entitlement masquerading as faith. Competence is not necessarily excellence, but exactly what it says, competent. I hope this is okay, but Angie would say this about her own mother. Her own mother was not a great cook. My mother was a great cook. But her mother was not a great cook. She, none of her children died. She got meals on the table. She figured it out. This is real simple. This is what we're going to do. I mean, it, and it worked. Don't get me wrong. But she didn't have a reputation that way. Are you with me? And yet, she was competent. And it was what? It was okay. Her family got fed. And yet for us, we hear that and something in us goes, are there areas in which we can and will excel? Absolutely. But not everything. You can't be great at everything, saints. In media and social media and the highlight reels of people's lives, it makes it look like everyone is doing everything and doing it much better than you are. Don't they? Come on. I mean, they're Instagramming every meal they cook. It's the only one they've cooked in six weeks, but I mean, but you think that's what they're doing every night of the week. And we see the highlight reels and we think, everybody's living that way but me. And the devil steps in and says, you're right. You're average. You're mediocre. You're not even competent. And then the condemnation kicks in. And we're not talking about condemnation over behavior. We're not talking about condemnation between black and white and sin and righteousness. We're talking about condemnation over issues of measuring competence. That because I can't be the best, then all of a sudden, it must not be God. It's amazing the conclusions that we arrive at. Let me close with this. His competency is not unlike his qualification. Your competence may qualify you for certain things on earth, but it's only his obedience that's your qualification for heaven. 
Colossians 1. It's very clear. It says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance, patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Do you mean my qualification is not just based on my competence? Absolutely. Your qualification is based on his obedience and the righteousness righteousness that has now been imparted and imputed to you. Wow. Abraham Lincoln said, whatever you are, be a good one. I appreciate that. Can we strive to be better? Absolutely. Are there those areas where God has asked us to excel and be competent? Absolutely. Can we be more loved by being more competent? No. You know, you loved your kids long before they were good at anything. I hope you did. All they were competent at was screaming and making a mess. And yet, you still loved them. They were still sons and daughters. And who we are has to be apart from what we do and that which is measured, our competence. Saints, hear me. God has given each one of us a different package, something different. We're not going to be great at everything. Let's get off the wheel of comparison and competition. Yes, we do feel good about ourselves when we know we're competent at something. But that can't be the sole basis by which we derive our health. Are you hearing me here tonight? And don't hear the wrong thing. Pastor Jim said I could be sloppy and undisciplined. It's not what I said. You will give an account before God as to how you invested the talents that he gave you. Those gifts, those material resources, yes, there is a sowing and reaping. There is a parable of the talents coming. But what I'm trying to communicate to you here tonight, that's not the basis of your worth, and it's not the basis of your relationship with Christ. Pray with me.